You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello and welcome to 2023. This is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology. Welcome you to the January 2023 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. 2023 marks the 50th year of publication of the Journal of Rheumatology, and I hope you will be interested in some of the special features we have for 2023. These are reviewed in my editorial in this month's edition of the journal. This month, I will be speaking to the authors of a paper entitled Timing and Predictors of Incident Cardiovascular Disease in Systemic Lupus Erythematosus. Risk Occurs Early and Highlights Racial Disparities. The authors will review the important findings of their paper for you. Could you please review the findings? The punchline here. Um, the punchline of the study is that uh, uh, we were able to, the study provides or contributes new information by quantifying the burden of cardiovascular disease in people of black race with lupus. Uh, the study for the first time highlights that risk of cardiovascular disease or incident cardiovascular disease was 19 fold higher in people of black race in the first 12 years of follow-up starting two years before lupus diagnosis. And the overall risk uh, in 15 years of surveillance was seven fold higher in people of black race compared to other racial and ethnic groups. The next uh, uh, key thing that we highlighted was that cardiovascular disease risk starts early, as early as during the second year of lupus diagnosis, and it peaked twice, first during the second year, and then uh, second peak was during the 11th year after lupus diagnosis, highlighting that interventions or preventive strategies need to be done early uh, at or around time of lupus diagnosis. And finally, the study highlighted that Discoid rash was an int, uh, was a new potential predictor of future cardiovascular disease events, which does require further validation and mechanistic associations in um, future studies. I hope you enjoyed listening to the authors of Timing and Predictors of Incidence Cardiovascular Disease and Systemic Lupus Erythematosus Risk occurs early and highlights racial disparities, and that you will listen to the complete interview I had with them and read the full-length article and an accompanying editorial entitled Cardiovascular Disease Disparities in Systemic Lupus Erythematosus by Drs. Ali Duarte Garcia and Yunos Yasni. These are both available on our website at www.jroom.org. There's increasing evidence that patients with RA may have an increased risk for the development of dementia. The aim of the paper I'll now highlight 
entitled Risk Factors for Dementia in Patients with Incidence Rheumatoid Arthritis, a population-based study by Kostila and colleagues, examines the incidence of dementia in their cohort and assesses the risk factors associated with dementia in 886 inception cohort patients with RA followed over a 30-year period. They found that after a median follow-up of 8.5 years, 103 or 11.6% of their patients developed dementia. After adjusting for age, sex, and calendar year, the the presence of rheumatoid nodules and large joint swelling were significantly associated with an increased risk of dementia. They did also find the previously recognized risk factors of age, hypertension, depression, and anxiety. After they adjusted for cardiovascular disease risk factors and any cardiovascular disease, the RA disease covariants were still significantly associated with the risk of dementia. In an accompanying editorial entitled, Keep It in Mind, Assessing the Risk of Dementia in Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis and Opportunities for Intervention, Dr. Sebastian Satui and Sarah Lieber from the University of Pittsburgh and Weill Cornell Medical Center, respectively, review the importance of the above-mentioned study and suggest that there may be ways which include treat to target to decrease the risk of dementia in RA patients. I suggest that after reading these two articles, you will gain insight into dementia and its risk in RA patients. The next paper to highlight is entitled Development and Validation of a Self-Administered Questionnaire Measuring Essential Knowledge in Patients with Axial Spondyloarthritis, and is by Bovis and colleagues. As you may guess from the title, the authors address the issue of how to assess disease knowledge in patients with axial SPA. The authors, in collaboration with rheumatologists, health professionals, and patients, developed and validated a self-administered 42-item questionnaire and then developed a 32-item short form, which they referred to as SPAKE, or Spondyloarthritis Knowledge Questionnaire. This questionnaire assesses patients' knowledge of the disease, comorbidities, pharmacologic therapies, non-pharmacologic treatments, self-care, and adaptive skills. They found that the questionnaire had good acceptability, good internal and external consistency, good reproducibility, and a high sensitive change after patient education sessions. The authors suggest that the questionnaire can be used in both routine care and for studies. The questionnaire is outlined in the paper as well as an in-depth look at the validation process. After reading the paper, you can decide if you feel it is worthwhile to use this questionnaire 
in your practice. The third article to highlight this month is entitled Impact of Physician-Defined Flares on Quality of Life and Work Impairment, an international study of 2,238 patients with psoriatic arthritis and is by Orbe and colleagues. The aim of this study was to determine the frequency, duration, and the type of flares seen in patients with PSA and how these flares affected patients' quality of life and work productivity. This was a multi-centered study which included data on 2,238 adult patients with PSA from rheumatologists and dermatologists, as well as their patients, and was conducted in France, Italy, Germany, Spain, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Physician-reported flares were present in 168, or 7.5% of the patients at the time of survey, and 29.5% of the patients had had a flare within the previous 12 months. Patients who had a flare were less commonly prescribed a biologic DMARD than non-flaring patients. Patient-reported flare data was available on 947 patients who, in whom 95 or 10% reported that they were flaring at the time. In this cohort, the mean flare count over the previous 12 months was 2.2 and lasted an average of 16.4 days. The flare status reported by the patients, as may be expected, was linked to a worse prose outcome. Patients who had not flared in the previous 12 months or who had never flared while in this cohort, had a a higher quality of life, lower overall work impairment, and a lower degree of disability as compared to patients who were flaring at the time of the study. Agreement between physician and patient flare status was seen in 93.4%. However, there was less agreement over the severity of the flare, with patients more commonly reported a moderate or severe flare as compared to the physician's assessment. Paper gives further details of the association with the flares and the implications of the findings. Successful transition from pediatric to adult care is crucial to the long-term health of patients with childhood-onset rheumatic diseases. In the final article to highlight entitled, Patient-Reported Outcomes Among Transition-Age Young Patients with Juvenile Idiopathic Arthritis in the Childhood Arthritis and Rheumatology Research Alliance Registry, and is by Smitherman for the Care registry investigators in the carrot transition work group examines the issue of the outcome of transition patients with juvenile idiopathic arthritis or JIA.
The authors identify 540 young adults with JRA who are in the CARA long-term registry from 57 North American sites. Of these 540 adults, 187, or 35%, responded to a phone survey about their long-term follow-up. Authors found that after an average of 7.8 months from the last CARA entry, during prior to transfer, only 54% had a complete transfer to adult care. Those with a complete transfer reported higher self-assessed disease activity with more stiffness and higher pain scores. Patients with complete transfer tended to be more frequently having private insurance, completed some college education, and were either a full or part-time student rather than being employed as found in the unsuccessful group. Interestingly, across the total cohort, 65% of those survey entered the survey reported problems with pain or discomfort and 45% with anxiety or depression. The authors discuss the implication of findings, comparison to previous studies, and hypothesize on how to improve the important issue of transition. This month, our ex-review articles entitled Cutaneous Involvement, Systemic Lupus, Erythematosus, a review for the rheumatologist, and is by Doctors Courtney Still, Grant Spro, and Victoria Worth from the divisions of Rheumatology and Dermatology, University of Pennsylvania, and University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. This review gives the perspective of both rheumatologists and dermatologists. The panorama 360 Degrees of Rheumatology article this month is entitled Reflections for the 50th Anniversary of the Journal of Rheumatology, the Past, Present, and Future of Rheumatology, and is by Drs. Alphonse Massey and Richard Bukella, who give a personal view of the journal over the past 50 years and their views for the future. Other features this month is the beginning of uh, our publication of a special series of articles from the 2021 Grappa Symposium. In honor of the 50th year publication, the journal will be publishing articles of particular importance by decade since the inception of the journal. The article will be reprinted in the journal and available online. They will be accompanied by a description of why they were picked. This month, the articles are from the 1970s and are entitled Evolution of Clinic Education Program for Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis and HLEB27 and ankylosing spondylitis, differences in frequency and relative risk in American Blacks and Caucasians. 
I'm sure you enjoy reading these articles from the past. The image in rheumatology this month describes a 50-year-old white woman with psoriatic arthritis who presented with a three-month history of painful subcutaneous nodules on her face and arms, which were accompanied by anorexia, fever, and weight loss. Physical examination showed four erythematous papules and the psoriasis area severity index was 1.2. She was found to be anemic lymphopenic with a mildly elevated CRP, ESR, and LDH. A skin biopsy showed a granulomas infiltrate with multinuclear giant cells in the dermis. A diagnosis of subcutaneous sarcoidosis was made, and the patient was treated with prednisone and hydroxychloroquine with resolution of the nodules. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only the highlighted articles, but all the articles in the January 2023 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or the online edition which is available at www.jroom.org. And please watch my interviews of the highlighted articles, not only of this month, but a previous month. They are available for viewing at our website as well as on YouTube. If you have any comments or questions on these highlighted articles or any article in the journal, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. And please listen next month to the February edition of Editor's Highlights. And again, I wish you a happy and healthy day.